Do you want to hear the greatest story? Yeah, I do. Oh my god, Bon Jovi sound checking. We got to see this. But then we hear um, the guy whistling to a microphone. Yeah, it was John, and he goes, "The kids can stay." We're like, "Oh, cool." <laughs> nice. Thanks, thanks, Johnny. It was a small theatre, and we went upstairs, and there was a photo of Dire Straits, who did their very first rock blast there in 1982, oh, wow. which was just so cool. So these bikies got in touch with us, give us 500 bucks so you don't get your singer back. <laughs> Holy shit. Welcome everyone, you are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. This is an interview style podcast where I talk with musicians, performers and sometimes wrestlers. I am your host, the Sizz Dog. Thanks for joining me. Oh man, Art of Touring listeners. If you are listening to this anywhere near the Friday drop date, oh my god, 42, 43 degrees today in Melbourne. Holy moly. I went and saw Star Wars. Don't worry, I'm not going to give any spoilers away. But I went and saw Star Wars at about... The screening was at 11.15. So when we walked into the theatre, yeah, it was a hot day. But it wasn't it wasn't that crazy. And then uh, when me and BW walked out of the uh, the theatre at about 2... Uh, about 2.15 or about 2 o'clock, um, it hit us in the face like a wet fish or maybe a hot fish. <laughs> um, we checked the uh, the weather app and it seemed that the uh, the fires from New South Wales had kind of, with the winds kind of blown down and the whole the whole town had turned this awful grey colour like, you know, Mordor or something. It was quite, it was quite ominous and hot, kind of like a hell. <laughs> man, but it was wild, man, you know. Um, what else is going on? We had the gig. Last week? Was that last week? Has it been a week already? I think it was. Yeah, I think it was last week. Am I losing my mind? Yes, of course it was. Yes, it was last week. It was crazy. Oh my God. We had the gig, the, the Pearl Jam show, man. Yeah. Uh, jumped out into the crowd. Um, this time, just myself, not me and Del, because last time we did it in the middle of the year, me and Del jumped out at the same time, which was ridiculous because we kind of ended up falling because it was two people trying to crowd surf at once. Not a good um, idea out there. Um, if you're listening and you're thinking about doing it, I wouldn't recommend, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, so this time I had uh, encouraged the, um, the crowd to move quite forward and um, was at the end of the night when we were doing even flow and uh, jumped into the crowd. But I think, I think the venue actually had me at a bit of a disadvantage because there's a pole like right in the middle of the room in, at the corner. And when I was crowd surfing out, the crowd kind of feel that the pole was near. So as soon as I got anywhere near the pole, they just brought me right back to the stage. And I was, and I didn't jerry at all. So I'm like, oh, that wasn't good enough. I'm going to do it again. So I jumped into the crowd three times. Well, I say jumped. I looked back at the footage, and I'm more, I'm more like kind of like gliding. <laughs> I'm kind of like. Like gently lowering myself like an old man lowers themselves in a warm bath. <laughs> because I did certainly did not jump into the crowd. I, I more, yeah, I, I just kind of lowered myself into the crowd. And, and they g- gently kind of, you know, put me on their shoulders and, and their hands. And I appreciate you catching me 
Corner Hotel. I appreciate it. This week on the podcast, I caught up with James and Lara from the Seabirds. Uh, Keep listening to hear James reminisce about meeting one of his drumming idols while living in the UK and how singing in choirs over the years for Lara was the perfect entryway into the band scene in Melbourne. Art of Touring is brought to you every single Friday. You can listen to The Art of Touring on iTunes, Spotify, or on the Google Podcasts app on your Android device. Um, Guys, tell friends about this pod. Uh, Subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. Uh, You could tweet about it. You could make a Facebook post. You could make an Instagram post, an Instagram story. You could do an Instagram story about the podcast. That's what the kid, or maybe a TikTok. No, I don't think that's a thing. Is it a thing? I don't think it is. I think it's some way to the Chinese government to spy on you. So maybe just stick with Instagram stories about this podcast. (laughs) That would be rad. Now, if you are listening with kids, it might be a good idea to throw on Star Wars. I don't care which one. Um, And then (laughs) once they're dropped off at their uh, swimming lessons, throw Art of Turing back on. Now let's take a moment to hear from this week's sponsor. Episode 87 of The Art of Turing is brought to you by Lobos Collectibles in Thornbury. Lobos is Melbourne's largest and best vintage toy store. They have everything you could ever imagine for the diehard collector. Star Wars, Ghostbusters, My Little Pony, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Star Trek, Dino Riders, Elf... Um, The Simpsons, wrestling figures, the list goes on and on and on. So if you're looking for a gift this Christmas for the collector in your family, there's only one place to go, and that's Lobo's Collectibles in Thornbury. Now, the coolest thing about Lobo's Art of Touring listeners is that they are constantly acquiring new old stock to add to their store. So you're sure to find something different every time you visit. Let them know you heard about the show the store from my show. All right, that would be rad. Tell them Sis Dog sent you from the Art of Touring podcast. I love this store, man. I would go to their original location back in the day in Northcote for years, and now I go to their new location in Thornbury most weekends. And I always leave with something a little bit special to add to the collection. Lobo's Collectibles, the best toy store in the universe. Just so you know, Art of Turing is hosted by Wooshka. If you'd like to listen on your desktop, you can. You can just Google Art of Turing and follow the links to the Wooshka homepage. Now, before we hear my conversation with James and Lara from the Seabirds, I'd like to share with you some of their music. This is a song called Heavenly Skies. Check it out. I'm dead. 
That was just a taste of the seabirds. I must apologise to James and Lara. They actually asked me to play a song called The Coastline, but unfortunately I wasn't able to source that one for the podcast. So there was a little bit of heavenly skies from the seabirds. And now let's sit back and breathe it in. That's right, it's the Sizz Dog and James and Lara shooting the shit. Strap in and let's get loose. It's time for the Art of Tuning to begin. Welcome everyone, you're listening to the Art of Turing podcast. I'm sitting here in Siriani Studios. It is a little bit of a warm one, but I've got the fan going. And uh, sitting across from me are two members of the Seabirds, Lara, the vocalist, and James, the drummer. How are we guys? Hello. Very well. well. How are you? Yes, I'm well, I'm well. I'm sipping my water out of my stimpy cup. What have you got? You've got a beer. I've got a Corona. Very, a Corona? A very well-deserved Corona. After a long day. And Lara, what are you? I also have water in a special glass. You've got a Stormtrooper glass. I do. Look at you. What do you no know about past that? this. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about Star Wars before, weren't we? Yeah. And you were saying that we could we'd probably just talk about that all night and we'd yeah. hijack the, the Seabirds <laughs> podcast on the Art of Touring. Oh, gosh. Well, Lara, um, I did want to ask, because um, I know where old mate's from, and I, I will get to him, because not everyone sure. listening will, will know where he's from, but I don't know where you're from, Lara. Where did you grow up? Born and bred Melbourne. Oh, yeah. Melbourne girl. Haven't well, walked far. Yeah? What part of Melbourne did you grow up? So I grew up in Hawthorne, and then eventually made my way out to Templestowe. Oh, right. Mm. Hawthorne. Yeah. Um, and you went to school out there? I did. Went to school in Hawthorne and Kew, and then yep. high school in Richmond. Mm-hmm. So, some old suburbs, little schools, lots of bluestone. Yeah, right. Mm. And did, um, did you have many members in your family? Did you come from a big family, a small family? So, um, I've got two brothers, mm-hmm. younger. Um, so, mum, dad and the three of us siblings, five of us in the home. Um, cousins, lots of cousins on my mum's side, the big Italian family. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Smaller Australian family on the other side. Other side, yeah. yeah. That sounds familiar, yeah. Um, and either of your um, younger siblings into music as well, or, or you're the only one? My brother Lucas is a bass player and guitarist. Mm-hmm. Um, has been in bands for a good 20 plus years, I think, now. Wow. So, lots of music in the house. How did you guys, um, like, how did music find you as a young person? Like, when did you start singing and when did you find out, like, oh, this is something I really want to do? Yeah, so there was a lot of music in the house. I grew up with the Beatles, the mm-hmm. Seekers, Credence, um, Neil Diamond, uh, Nanima Scori was in there. Yeah. Um, Shirley Bassey, just absolutely love that big woman's voice. Yeah. So um, I've got really vivid memories of listening to the radio in the kitchen when I was four years old and pretty much hijacking the cassette player right. and playing the Beatles over and over again. Um <laughs> And Credence over and over again. And I was about six years old when Michael Jackson really came into my consciousness and Thriller was released. And so that was my obsession for Mm. a good few years. So Thriller was the first album that I purchased for myself. Really? Um, That got played a lot. Mm. And singing, I guess it was just always there in the background, but I became more aware of it when one day at primary school, some people rocked up and they were doing auditions for the Australian Girls Choir. And I'm like, well, my friends are doing it. I may as well as well. Give it a go, yeah. So they did these blind sort of auditions of, you know, they play a piece, 
you then repeat it and the next thing I knew I was in there and very yeah. soon was promoted to the reserve choir and it right. sort of felt like an accident really but I just loved it and had a good ear for um, notes and memory and learning things quickly. Yeah. So that's sort of where it started. How old were you at that point? Eight. Eight years old. So grade two. Yeah. And um, your folks would transport you over to the other side of town or was yeah. it pretty close to where you were? Well, it felt like a long way away back then as a kid because, yeah. you know, between home and school was a short distance, but choir was in Burwood yes. at Deakin University. Mm-hmm. So we'd go there every Thursday night, do the warm-ups and then rehearse a bunch of songs in our choir books back mm. in the day, these mm. big tomes of classics and we'd prepare for concerts. Yeah. yeah. So from grade two, you're singing with a lot of people and, and it's really kind of becoming like a big pastime, a big part yeah, of your life huge. at a yep. really pivotal point in, in your childhood, really. Yeah, did that for three years. So I think actually yeah. it was grade three were the auditions and so it was grades four, five and six. Yeah. And then into high school, that just opened up, you know, another world of music. Ah. Um, so I moved into some different choirs. There you go. Mm. Well, I, I do want to hear more about that, but I'm going to switch gears now and, and speak to the, the man with the hat and the, and the glasses on his forehead there, <laughs> James. Um, just just so everyone knows, um, James and I have known each other for, gosh, how long have we known each other for, mate? Oh, jeez. I should really know that. You hey? should know that 2001, more than me. 2001, yeah. that's when, that's so... Yeah, so 18 years. 18 years we've known each other. Yeah. Um, I think you came into my family at um, what was once known as Ricochet. Yes, that's right. So uh, my wife, Danielle, um, I met her at, at Ricochet and then um, uh, we got engaged and soon enough, you know, I, I meet the, the extended family and then there's James, the drummer, you know, a Star Wars fan. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to get along with these guys. <laughs> this is great. 18 years later, the rest is history, so to speak. But... Um, uh, as I was saying, our listeners may not know where you're from, mate. Where, where are you from? Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Greensboro, mm-hmm. a suburb of Melbourne. Um, born and raised there. Lived uh, at the family home pretty much until I took off overseas. Yep. And then came back and lived at the house again and then took off overseas again and then came back and lived underneath the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I then, remember that. And then finally uh, met a uh, lovely woman and married her and moved out with her. Yeah. But now I'm not that far away. I'm actually about a seven-minute walk away from the family home. Now I reside in Bry Hill. Yeah, which mm. is pretty pretty much Greensboro. Isn't yeah, it? it's yeah. like a sub-suburb sub, of Greensboro. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So all very, very local. Very local, yeah. Yeah, yeah. to that area. And so when um, when did music really start becoming something that you knew you wanted to pursue as, as a young person? Because I know you're a drummer, but I'm not sure of the origin story, like who introduced you to music. So I know your dad's a big Buddy Holly fan. Yeah, I think, like, well, dad's a big Buddy Holly fan and mum's really into Neil Diamond, Neil Sedaka, mum's into the Beatles and... Um, I. I I've always wanted to play the... I don't ever remember not wanting to be a drummer. Right. So I was always belting things when I was a kid, always tapping my feet, always tapping the table. Yeah. Um, Mum will tell you that she's still got sore ribs from when I was in utero, kicking and tapping away <laughs> on her ribcage. Fantastic. 
But yeah, uh, for me, pursuing it was so always. Like Dad was always pumping us full of um, Buddy Holly and and Little Richard and Elvis, and yeah. you know, Mum was always putting on you know uh, the Beatles, and Mum's you know started playing as Sergeant Peppers and playing as Hot August Night, and um, I, I always wanted to be a drummer, and then I can remember getting serious about it. Um, in 1987 this family friend of ours went to America and they came back and I was listening to nice things like um, John Farnham had just done Whispering Jack and yep. you know that was what was in the home and um, I remember uh, he, his name was Glenn Hayes it, we, we were around at their house after they got back from America and he goes I've got this record by this band called Guns N' Roses and he, no. and he, and he, it was like the December of '87. So Appetite had only been out for like four months, and he put it on. The first song he played was My Michelle. Yes. And as soon as I heard Stephen Adler, I was like, "Well, fuck all that shit. That's what I want to do." <laughs> yeah. And I was just obsessed with rock and roll ever since, wow. and rock and roll drumming. Yeah, yeah. And you're nine at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um. And so. You were like, well, this is what I want to do. Did, were, were your folks um, like supportive? Did they go out and get your kit straight away, or did it take a little while of, of convincing? It took a while of convincing. So I kept tapping away on the table, and then I saw Tommy Lee because Motley Crue put out, you know, Doctor Feelgood, and mm. I was watching that on um, what Pepsi Top Forty or whatever, and. I was, you know, you're watching the big rock video film clips and there's Tommy Lee spinning his sticks and having a good old time. And I just kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And then when I got into year seven, they got me into drum lessons straight away. Yeah. And I spent a year on the practice pad just doing my paradiddles and all my rudiments and, Mm -hmm. you know, all the boring stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, all right, we'll get him a drum kit. He clearly wants to do this. Yeah. And then that was it. That was it after that. Yeah, I used to come home from school, um, drop my school bag, not do my homework, ignore all of it, and just play drums until 7 o'clock, which was the curfew, no more. Yeah, right. So I just, yeah, <laughs> so I just used to put on uh, put on whatever I could find and, and play it really loud and play along to it every night. There you go. Um, and so, Lara, getting back to your story, you're, you're now, you've been in the Australian Girls Choir for a few years, um, and then you, you go into high school and you join the choirs in school as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, what was your high school music program like? Did you, um, did you take singing lessons at school at all? Or? You know, I didn't actually. I no? started piano. I ended oh, up doing yeah. three years of piano in the first year, seven, eight, nine. Mm-hmm. And it was all classically driven and scales, which I found really boring. So after the first year, I'm like, Mum and Dad, I don't want to do this anymore. And they're like, go on, give it another give it another year. And I'm like, I don't want to. And they're like, yeah. had a conversation with the teacher and they just enrolled me. So I got through the second year of piano. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. It's just boring. And they're like, oh. give it one more year. And so I got into my third year oh. and halfway through the year, the teacher just said, all right, you can play the blues. And so it was just the last six months of piano was simply blues playing because that's all I wanted to do yes and then I think after those three years mum and dad were like all right you've done enough blues on the piano we're not paying for any more <laughs> classes so um so what, what do you think yeah. why did they th- what, what were they thinking that you were going to be able to do on the piano like your classical music versus blues like what what was the um the friction there I think you know perhaps they hadn't had the opportunity 
to learn an instrument when they were younger. So they wanted oh, to give me that. Yes. But I didn't want to do the conservative, um, you know, piano lessons and yeah. all those grades in piano. I just wanted to create music. And in right. that final year of, mu- of piano, year nine, there were a couple of music streams um, available to the year nine cohort. Mm. And I was the only one who ro- enrolled in um, songwriting and with so few, you know, just one student, they didn't run it. And I was no. like, oh, I really want to write songs. So I just ended up doing that sort of thing in my own time and yeah. musically ended up in three choirs across the school. So like the largest choir, then some, I guess, middle group and then a madrigal, mm. which did a lot of um, a cappella performances and, you know, comprised of a maximum of 10 students. Right. And that pretty much saw me through. And at the time I was listening to a lot of pop um, it was all, yeah, top 40 Australian, American. Mm. By 91, I think we started to get some um, UK stuff really late at night on the FM band. Yeah. So I'd stay up and listen to that and just ate up as much pop as I could find until sure. later years and I found alternative music. Yeah, right. Discovered rock. The rock and roll. Yeah. Appeared to you in a... Vision. That's right. Late at night on the FM dial. That's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) What is this music? This is great. There might have been a bit of acid jazz in there at some time as well. Sure, yeah. yeah, Pretty eclectic. (laughs) Wow. And um, during your school time, were you ever in any bands or was it more just the choirs and stuff like that? It was the choirs, yeah. So bands started later, pretty much in uni. Oh, in uni? Yeah. So you, and you went all the way through, you, you finished your year 12. Yep. Um, and then what did you start studying at university? I was doing arts. Yeah. Studying Italian and criminology and yeah, literature right. and stuff like that. I think right. I did a sociology course so I could write an essay on you too, legitimately. <laughs> you, you wrote an essay on you too? Yeah, yeah. What was about the About TV specifically. I think it was uh, all about pop culture. Really? Yeah. That's really interesting. Oh, yeah. It was some interesting years, but that was, they were great years because being located just north of the city meant that there were a load of pubs, a load of live acts to go and see. And Yeah. What university were you at, sorry? At Melbourne. Oh, Melbourne Uni. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, hanging around Queensbury Street, loads of clubs and bars and yeah. pubs. It was great. Wow. That's that really opened up. Amazing experience. Mm. So it was those years that I think um, I was singing backing vocals for a friend who was writing his own material and we'd do a few open mic nights or, yeah. you know, something at the Royal Derby or out at Wildwood in Hurstbridge. And yeah. then a friend asked me to join his band um, and was singing lead on that. Yep. That was the first time being in a studio, you know. They and that needed- was your first band? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I don't know if it was like very 20, good. 21. Yeah, about that. Yeah. I don't I can't wow. say it was any good. I don't think we actually performed live anywhere, but we did record. You recorded, you rehearsed. <laughs> yeah, there was probably some music or producer student who needed a band at 2am at oh, RMIT yeah, and yeah, yeah, we yeah. were that band. Love yeah. that. Love so it was the that. first time I heard my voice through speakers and it, you know, yeah. you know what that feels like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, still first time being recorded 100%. Yeah. Guys, do you remember the name of that um recording project that you had? What was that little... It'll inc- come to me. Oh, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll come back to yeah. you. And we'll, we'll refocus now on old mate over here. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you're playing the drums. <clears throat> you're getting. Um, did you say you were getting lessons yet? Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Getting lessons at uh, Monty High. Oh, okay, who was, was your teacher there? I can't remember the first guy, but all he wanted to do was teach us the bossa nova and 48 different versions of it. Oh, so not a rock and roll guy. And it at gave all. us the shits because yeah. um, the guy that I was learning with, Darren Vlar, he ended up um, in a band called Klinger. That mm-hmm. kind of were a bit of a. They were kind of like an it band, like in 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 the in the demographic that we were in at the time. They, sure, they were cool. They were on Triple J, and yeah. they put out a single with um, Everclear. Mm. So the ever the B side to Everclear is "You Make Me Feel Like a Whore" is um, a Clinger track, right? And they and they got to open for Everclear, right? A local Monty band, yeah. When they came out, to well, Australia. they were from Watsonia, right? But their drummer was from Monty High, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, and then we had this really cool um, dope-smoking hippie teacher that was from, uh, she was from the Victorian College of the Arts. So he left and she came in and she was like, what do you guys want to learn? And I'm like, Slayer, Pantera, Guns N' Roses, rock and roll, metal, let's go. Yeah. And she's like, all right, no worries. And she just broke it all down. and Huh. Yeah. And so she was the drumming teacher then after that? Yeah, yeah. Miss um, Ad- Adams was her name. That's she cool. She was really cool. This was like year 10 by this stage? No, no, no. This is year eight and nine. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, and so she started... So uh, she got Metallica's um, sheet music from And Justice For All and started breaking <laughs> it down. Music. Yeah, and started breaking it down and wow. showing us... Like teaching us how to write music as drummers and like yeah. why it works the way it works and how they've done what they've done. And yeah, man. And then she ended up leaving and um, Andrew Collins, we had this guy, Andrew Collins came in who yeah. he played in this band called Burst. And I don't know what happened to them, but I know he was on uh, Midday with Ray Martin. They, right. they, yeah, they, he he filled in as the um, drummer on there a couple of times and like a session guy. Yeah, yeah, he was he was shit hot. Like yeah. he was really cool. Yeah, like you'd bring in some weird stuff to him and go, oh, you know, um, you know, I'm 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 listening to Fear Factory at the moment, and he's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, what's Fear Factory? And you'd play it to him, he'd be like, oh wow, he's like, okay, this is what he's doing here. Yes, and he'd break it down and show you what's going on and. It was. They were really cool drum lessons. Mm. They were really good. That's a really cool thing, man. Cause I, 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 it's a strange thing where, like, in high schools, sometimes like session musos do just kind of swan in. Like, you know, they, they may be in a different part of their lives where they don't have much gigs going on at the moment. I'll go back to teaching. I'll get a little six month stint here or a year there at different schools and that. And they bring in all this different knowledge, and the kids they must they must just blow their minds. Well, it was really cool because he was all about right. You've got to do. You've got to. You've, you, here's the criteria, and you've got to meet this criteria to pass and continue on. But, yeah. You know the criteria can be met in many different ways. Yeah, right on. So you're into this. Cool. I'll teach you how to play that. You've got to be able to nail that middle eight. <laughs> That's yeah. And I'll tell you. I'll teach you about why. You know. I'll teach you about displacement. I'll teach you about different time signatures and yeah, why this works and how it all comes back together and it sounds a bit odd and then it, you know, it all resolves and sure. Yeah. So eight and nine, getting lessons from um, this great new teacher that um, had come through. Um, when did you start? joining bands did you join a band in high school yeah i did so 
my first band, we were this shitty Metallica cover band. Yeah. We were terrible. Well, did it have a name? I can't remember. No? But we played one gig um, at the Roadhouse, which was a youth centre in Eltham. And I, we were... We, we, I think we played For Whom the Bell Tolls like four times. We were kind of like the Vanilla Ice of Metallica cover bands. Sure, like, yeah. We only know a couple of songs, so... Just play it twice. Know, yeah, play it again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've run out of material. Play it again. Yeah, um, yeah. And then uh, I, I joined this band, we, well, this high school band. It was uh, my best mate, Scotty Marr. Um, my other, well, one of my oldest, dearest, and you know, also best friends, Brendan Wisnowski. Um, and my next-door neighbour, Cameron Durant, we put a band together. Yeah. And we just... Brendan. Brendan's like a musical genius. Like, he uh, he plays... Well, he's since relocated to England, but up until recently, he played in the Brisbane um, Orchestra. Uh, right. the, the Brisbane Doctors Orchestra. Huh. And he's like a maestro. Like, he, he he's... He, he, he's just phenomenal. Yeah. He actually features on the new Seabirds record, which is fantastic to have oh, him on cool. there yeah. and but he he's just like he, he just had all these songs he got himself a fender stratocaster and decided he was going to be a guitarist and he was right into dinosaur jr and things like that so we had this band and we wrote uh we wrote four songs and we had we we went to parade college for the battle of the bands parade had a battle of the bands they were just so happened to host it or was it I, they were presenting I, it. I, they were. I believe they were hosting it. I'm okay. not sure who put it together. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But we came fifth out of ten. Yeah. So not too bad for your first go. Bloody awesome. But yeah. That band broke up because um, my best mate Scotty didn't want to commit to being in a band because he wanted to go surfing, and so we continued on for about a month as a three piece. Yeah. And Cameron just kept on getting piss blind drunk and couldn't show up to rehearsals. Right. I just couldn't get it together by two o'clock. In high school. On a Sunday, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. So it disbanded at that point. So that, yeah, that all fell apart at the seams. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and then I joined uh, Volcanic Honeymoon. Right. Which uh, a guy that lived down the road from Brendan... um, Steve Begovic, Essie, very dear friend who's not with us anymore, he started um, this band with Simon Muller um, and they uh, did an open mic night at the mm-hmm. old Red Room in Thornbury. Okay. And they played a couple of songs and they were only supposed to be instrumental songs and then they showed them to Brendan and Brendan goes, oh, yeah, I've got piano parts for that and Brendan starts playing piano and then Brennan's like, oh, I know this drummer and let's get this drummer in. And they're like, we don't need a drummer. And he goes, no, we need a drummer. This is the guy. We'll bring him in. And so we had this like metal drummer playing with a punk rocker who had a dope smoking hippie friend playing the mandolin who had this classically trained pianist. And that was Volcanic Honeymoon. Right. That's how it all came together. Yeah. Far out. Because um, I remember when we first met um you gave me that record and i listened to it and it really was difficult to put your finger on the genre of music you i was listening to you know it was it was very much uh, like a a mix of so many different you know styles 
Yeah, I mean, I'm extremely proud of it. I, don't, I mean, yeah. you, you probably hit the nail right on the head. I still, to this day, don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, oh, it's psychedelic uh, juju magic. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a reflection of um, mm. a, a couple of uh, pre, uh, four pre-20-year-olds, you know, all coming, all coming together and having the same, you know, goal in mind. Yeah. But all coming from four different... You know, I was at the time I was driving a panel van and listening to Sepultura and Slayer and yeah, you know, adding symbol upon symbol to my drum kit and you know, <laughs> going he's he's a cowbell, let's put a cowbell in it. And yeah, like, we don't yeah. need a cowbell. I'm like, we're having a cowbell. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> Same struggle I've got today. There you go. <laughs> the Think it needs real. a little bit more cowbell. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, Lara, um, I do want to uh, speak a little bit more on your time at university and, and getting into bands and stuff like that before we do find out how you guys came together and formed the, the Seabirds. Um, you're in that first band there where you weren't really playing live. It was more of a recording project. Where, where to from there? And believe it or not, I now remember the name. Oh, what was it? Woodrow. 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 Um, I did a lot of consuming of music, both at you know, bars and pubs around Melbourne yeah, and wishing I was up there on stage. But that sort of remained a kind of like this quiet wish and desire for a while. Right. Um, and I think part of it was that I didn't see a lot of female bands around. Mm-hmm. Like there was the Clouds and one or two others, but it yeah. was mostly, um, you know, blokes up there and the the scene was amazing. Yeah. But what we had. Um, after studying in Melbourne, like Melbourne Uni, mm. I was then out at Monash. Mm-hmm. And there was the Monash radio. There weren't the pubs around to see the live music. So no. I was really consuming um, music through recommendations and and the radio. And so my yeah. taste got heavier. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think in terms of gravitational pull towards metal, got <laughs> a bit closer on the spectrum to where James was sitting with... Um, with metal music sure. and um, saw a lot more live performances as well. So there okay. were performers coming out to the campus to play. So we had like the likes of something for Kate and Powderfinger. Um, they would come to the Bush. Bu- yeah. Bush. Bush played um, Caulfield Monash. Um, and I was, you know, heading down to St Kilda and watching bands down there. And yeah. so again, it was just, on, you know, on this audience perspective while you know, singing along to things in my own time. Yeah. And after uni, I got a job in Canberra, moved up there. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, one day someone sort of dared me to audition for this musical. And I did kind of to pass the time and got into it. Right. Yeah. So I did a couple of shows up there and that was sort of my return to singing Mm. and adding the performance value to it with dance um, and theatre. Yeah, what was the musical? Cabaret. Yeah. And Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, wow. Jesus Christ Superstar was cool for yeah. that rock element, the rock opera element. And it was, you know, there'd be times when I wasn't on stage when I'd be down in the pit sitting with the, the bass player and the drummer, just absolutely loving it. Yeah. So that was really cool. And just like another sort of 
perspective of um, music and hanging out with musos. Yeah, man. And again, it was like, that's what makes me happy. Singing really makes me happy. Being among the music really makes, makes me you happy. happy. Yeah. yeah. That's a big, big thing. Yeah. And so after a few years in Canberra, um, came back to Melbourne. And yeah. by this stage, it's, I think it's, you know, 06, 07. Um, and music kind of found its way back to me a few years after that. Sure. Yeah. In the form of? In the form of a band I joined um, in like a, a workspace. The Christmas party was coming up. Really? And someone said, oh, Lara sings. She's a singer. She's a singer. She can do backing vocals. So I hopped into rehearsal with people I didn't know and took a few songs as lead and the others as backing vocal and... We did this one-off gig, yeah. covers band, and it was a lot of fun. Mm. And so the band decided to continue on a bit, and that lasted for about three or four years. Wow. And in that time... Or I just thought, your co-workers. Yeah, co-workers and, you know, a couple of wrangled-in family members. And so we were the six-piece, and we yeah. ended up doing weddings and conferences and, um, yeah, a whole bunch of stuff. Birthdays. Yeah. Um, the real, like, cover scene. You're just, like, yeah. now you're singing all the, the cover the cover tunes, black and gold and, you know. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. It was just great to, you know, sing the, the classic stuff from, like, the 50s all the way up to present day. And, yeah. I mean, I love a bit of karaoke, so it was a nice fit. And And um, around that time I thought, oh, I'd love to... Um, just sort of work on my vocals and choir is really great for that because it's like singing lessons. Mm. So I decided I was going to audition for um, one of the big Melbourne choirs and thought, well, before I do that, I need to get a singing teacher. Mm. So I took a few lessons and that was great. Yep. That is sort of a sidestep into a, a different choir, which was good, for, again, for the classics, all these, you know, former music teachers as part of this choir, they, they know it back to front and they're singing, you know, Beethoven and Bach, wow. you know, for the umpteenth time, whereas I was learning it for the first time. So yeah. it really um, was great in terms of rehearsal vocally, but also reading music. And it was through that singing teacher with whom I was doing some lessons that um, I learned of this guy, Michael, who had written some tunes and had recorded it with another singer, but they were looking to re-record it mm. and they um, they wanted a female vocal. And that was my entree into the Seabirds. Right. And how, how did you say how you met Michael? Like, how, was that through your singing teacher? Through the singing teacher. Was he, was he yeah. getting lessons with the singing teacher as well or was just like a, a, a colleague in a different... This, my singing teacher also teaches piano and he was teaching piano to Michael's son. Oh, wow. So that yeah. was the connection. Yeah. It was meant to be. That's right. So it was just like I started this job and fell into this band, which did one gig, which mm. then sparked an interest in doing choir again, which prompted me to take some singing lessons. And the next thing I know, I was sitting face to face with <laughs> Michael <laughs> from the Seabirds. Yeah. Yeah. And so how long has the Seabirds been a band? I'd say as a, well, it started off as a three-piece yeah. and was more folk uh, acoustic driven. And that was um, 2014 and Michael had been working on the material for a few years before that. Yes. But as a three-piece and mm. the, the name, The Seabirds, that came together in 2014 and we first 
um, did a gig in 2015, I think. Right, right. Yeah. Far out, man. Yeah. Time That's, flies. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and so, James, you, you're in this band in your 20s, just kind of bouncing back and forth a bit, but we will, we will, the, 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 the stories will align at, at the end mm. of the pod, which is always really, um, really lovely uh, when, when I am inter- interviewing two different people at once um, in the same band. Um, you're playing with uh, Volcanic Honeymoon. Um, can you tell me a little bit about those days and what that was like as a, as a young person? Yeah, well, uh, it was awesome. Um, playing shows around Melbourne? So naive, but it was awesome. So I was an apprentice screen printer and I'd finished my apprenticeship and became a master and continued working as a printer. And um, I'd be, you know, saying to the boss, oh, got to leave early i've got a gig and he's like oh it's tuesday night and i'm like yeah, sound checks at five o'clock I'm in brunswick yeah you know so i've got my drum kit parked in packed in my panel van and here i am leaving eltham at you know four o'clock and you know at back in those days you could get to brunswick in an you know hour, in, yeah. in less than an hour and yeah. you know we, we play at the empress hotel and you know the punters club and all these cool, you know Planet Cafe and all these cool places oh, around. Cafe. Yeah, I remember that joint. We played all these cool joints, and so Volcanic Honeymoon started off playing on a Tuesday night, you know, and yeah, there'd be you know the drunk at the bar, the sound guy, and you know it's two dollars on the door, and you'd be lucky if you got five people. Yeah, you know, and you'd, you, it was cool, man. You do your set, and I, I can remember, man, like we were playing with. Uh, Augie March and Paradise Motel and Architecture in Helsinki and it was this whole little scene happening. Yeah. And we were all up against the same struggle, you know. We all sucked and no one wanted to hear us. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. It was, it was that. And then, you know, something happened and it started getting better and then, you know, we were given the Thursday night and sure. know, you get a few more people and yeah. then, you know... We'd get a Friday night so I could invite my friends, you know, because yeah. all my mates were tradies, so they weren't coming out on a Tuesday or a Thursday. And so, you know, the Friday and the Saturday nights would start happening. And then, um, yeah, Volcanic Honeymoon kind of ran its course. Um, we ended up, uh, it just, I mean, it all makes sense in the end, but... Um, yeah, it kind of it kind of ran its course, yeah. And then we finished up, and then yep. I took off to Canada. Mm. So I moved over to Canada to this small town called Golden. Golden. Yeah, in British yeah. Columbia. Yeah. To you know build ski homes, and I was working in a bar, and this bar was really cool because it was kind of like if you tour Canada and you start in Vancouver, then you have to go through Golden and stop off and get petrol and stay there for the night and you play at this bar. Right. So they had all these cool bands, like the Smalls played there, um, you know, the uh, the Good Brothers who are, you know, Canadian Juno award winners. Yeah. Uh, the Waifs played there. Wow. So, you know, if, if you you went to this town, you played there. And mm. it was, they had this bar called Packer's Place. So I ended up working at that bar as, like, the sound the sound dude sure. like i dj'd and i set the bands up and you know the drummers would be like oh how's my kit sound and i'm like sounds great and they're like you sure and i'm like jump out here and i jump on and play and they're like oh do you want to get up and jam with us so every now and then i'd you know get up and play a cover song with the band that was touring through yeah um and they had this really cool band in town called disaster man um 
and they're 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 awesome and the the guitarist in the band ended up getting his phd in music hmm. so in this small town in canada four thousand people you know i found this musical outlet which after volcanic breaking up from volcanic honeymoon for me was like breaking up with your wife but there was three of them and it all happened at once like it, yeah, it was yeah. ter- breaking up from your first band was terrible sure like it just didn't taste right there was nothing good about it no and then i remember um sending brendan an email which i don't want to put a dampener on this but sending an email to brendan saying oh look you know it's been a little bit of time why don't you know i'm coming home soon why don't we put the band back together you know yeah, yeah. bit of blues brothers going on here <laughs> And he goes, oh, you know, that'd be great barring some sort of miracle because Essie's got MS and things aren't good. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I got home and, you know, Steve wasn't well and, you know, he eventually left, um, passed away. Yeah. He passed away when I was in England, actually. But, um, yeah, so that was, you know, another dampener on it, you know. What did he play in the band? He played guitar and um, wrote the lyrics and sang. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Don't know if you'd call it singing. But he was the but he was the vocalist, the vocalist, yeah. the front man, yeah, 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 yeah. irreplaceable. Yeah, mm. but I do remember coming back from Canada, and um, uh, my sister saying, "Oh, my boyfriend's playing at a bar," mm. and I'm like, "Oh, okay." So I go, and um, it was your band mm. playing at the bar, mm. and you saying, "Oh, James, um, do you want to get up and play with us?" And mm. I'm like. Oh, I'm not sure, Dave. You know, I've had a few pints. I don't know if it's really the best idea in the world. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you said, oh, yes, and all the way back from Canada, it's James coming up. (laughs) (laughs) So I played probably the sloppiest version of Better Man I think I've ever played in my life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you lost the gig. (laughs) (laughs) Was that the... Was that... That was at Patio... uh, What was it? Oh, Uh, Pug Mahones. Pug Mahones. Yes, yes. You lost the gig the following week, or you had another two weeks there, or something. Yeah, like, it was soon after that we we lost that residency. Yeah, yeah I kind yeah. of feel partially responsible, but I did say I was drunk. You did, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. It was it was pretty funny actually because you know you're doing the cover band scene, and I mean all cover band gigs they all eventually end. Yeah, you know, like I'm doing this one at the moment out in Point Cook. I've been out there off and on now for almost a year. Um, and I'm surprised I'm still there, to be honest, because eventually a publican's going to realise, oh, I could just get a karaoke machine or I could just play music through the PA and there's still just as many people here mm. as there was when this bloke was here. You know what I mean? So it's like, I do not hold anything against you from that, my friend. Yeah. I <laughs> Cover bands, they don't, the, the slots, they do not last. I mean, to, well, to my to my defence, I reckon I was about 12 pints, pints of Guinness in that night. So, so it could have been a lot worse. It, could, it, was, it was sloppy, but it wasn't a disaster. It wasn't as bad as it could have been. Yeah. We uh, started at the right point and we finished at the right point. What happened in between, I'm not going to be held responsible for. That's it. Oh, it was a fun night, mate. Um, and so, yeah, you, you've come back home and then eventually you go to the UK. Yeah. So I end up in the UK and I move over there with a girlfriend at the time that um, I felt was pretty serious and, well, it turned out she was a lying, cheating bitch, so that all went pear-shaped. You moved but, over there with her? Yeah. Oh, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, mm, I remember now. Yeah, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm working at this 
uh, bar called the Camden Arms. Mm. And I walk in there, and the, 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 it was a disaster. Like I, I'd been, I'd been working in nightclubs and bars and stuff for the better part of probably six or seven years by then. Yeah. And then um, I walk in there, and I'm like, "Here's this great bar, and no one shows up. What's going on here?" Mm. So I start taking notes, and um, I didn't have a job at the time so i had to find a job so i figured i'll find my own job mm. so i meet up with the owner of the bar and i go well you know here's who i am and here's you know what i've done and what did this place used to be and he goes oh it used to be a rock and roll bar but we thought we'd turn it into a wine bar and i'm like <laughs> in camden <laughs> a wine bar yeah and i'm like all right mate here's what i cost if you want me to come just give me a call. Yeah. So two days later, he gives me a call and goes, yeah, all right, no worries. Let's sign the contracts. Let's do it. So let's do it. So the first thing I do is I walk in there and I go, right, and I look at the uh, playlist that they were playing in the bar. Yeah. And I go, right, I just deleted it. I didn't even, I got about five songs through it. I just deleted the whole thing. Yeah. And I bought in my computer, and uh, which had a hard drive um, with all legally downloaded music and rift music on it that i'd purchased from a reliable retailer (laughs) (laughs) um and i start loading it up with uh, my idea of rock and roll so you know i didn't go you know i'm into metal and stuff and i didn't go extreme i just wanted to create a fun family atmosphere and at the time i was really into this band called the darkness i had been for a while everyone knew who the darkness was and yeah uh, but i didn't want to like put i believe in a thing called love or growing on me or one way ticket on there so Mm. i put on a bunch of their b-sides and so uh these two this couple walk in hugh and yvonne who um local you know rock scenesters and they're like oh who's running this place now? And I go, well, I am. And they're like, oh, why did you choose to put this song on? And it was a darkness song. And I go, oh, because I like them. They're a cool band. And I go, oh, okay. And a couple of days later, um, I'm at the bar and it's about two in the afternoon and this gentleman walks in. Well, he stumbled in, but he comes in and um, the same song's playing. And he goes, oh, are you the guy that put this track on? And I go, yeah. He goes, why are you playing this track? And I go, because I like it. It's my favourite Darkness track. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, oh, hang on a minute. You're Ed. You're the drummer from the Darkness. Darkness. (laughs) And he goes, yeah, yeah, man. And like he goes, I'll have a double vodka and raspberry and turn it up. (laughs) And so anyway, I serve Ed a couple of drinks. We're just shooting the shit and having a bit of a chat and, you know, he, uh, at the end of it, he gives me his phone number. So I've, you know, my relationship's gone south. And um, I've I've hung out with Ed a couple of times and my relationship's gone south. Um, so I'm out one night, it's Camden, it's nine o'clock at night. I'm at the bus stop. And Ed comes around the corner and he's, he's like, oh, Jim, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I've got to get the bus home. And he goes, oh, I thought you lived around the corner. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm out, out in Edgware now. And he's like, oh, you should come around to my house. And I go, oh, my bus is almost here. And he goes, I just threw up in the alleyway. And he just wipes vomit down my jumper. And he goes, you'll have to come with me now and clean your jumper. <laughs> what? <laughs> so 
I end up going, I've never of, heard that story. Sign of affection. It's, it's different. <laughs> just threw up in the alleyway. Yeah, so. <laughs> you have to come with me now. So I end up going back to it's Ed's house. Crazy, oh so I end up God. going back to Ed's, yeah. to one of Ed's epic house parties. And two days later, I've agreed to move in with him. <laughs> so oh, my gosh. I've gone from having a broken heart to living with a, a drummer from a rock and roll band. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they, they were broken up at the time. The darkness had broken mm, up at the time. Yeah, that was 2009. So, right. they, they, I think they broke up 2006 and, or That's 2007. Right there. there was that little spat there where they... Yeah. Didn't Justin even release like a solo thing as well? Like, yeah, in that Justin time? had Hot Leg. Right. Which, yeah, put out some interesting tracks. They yeah. Were Man Rock, I think he called it. Man Rock. Yeah. But now there's since... Um, well, that yeah, they released another record with Ed after that as well. But now he's moved on mm. from the band as well. Hasn't yeah, he? yeah. So, but yeah, you're over there in that scene. Um, so he's playing gosh. in he's playing in this band karaoke for beginners, and they're really cool. Um, and next thing I know, I'm in the Camden scene. So, you know, I guess the best way to describe it is if you've ever read a story in a rock and roll book and you think it's not true, it's true, right? And it's probably downplayed a bit. And it went down in Camden. Uh, a fair bit of it did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I do want to hear more about your time in the UK. But before we do, I want to take a moment to tell our listeners about Anytime Fitness in Epping. I recently joined the Anytime Fitness community and I love it. They give you a key fob, which gives you 24-hour access, not only to your home gym, but every Anytime fitness location around the world, which means if you're planning a holiday and you don't want to ease up on your training, you can still find a gym wherever you are around the globe. And it's perfect for the touring musician or a wrestler. Uh, you can, uh, uh, when you're on the road and you need to get a pump in uh, before a match or your next gig, you can always find an Anytime Fitness somewhere to get your training in. I love the whole concept of the 24-hour gym. I think it's, uh, uh, it's a rad thing. Uh, the best part for me is because I don't like wearing headphones when I train, uh, they have an app called Crowd DJ, which uh, you can download to your smartphone and you can control the music in the gym while you work out. So if you're in the mood to play some of your favorite tracks and you've forgotten your headphones at home, or if you're like me and you don't train with headphones on, you can always listen to your own playlist of music while getting your gym session done. Uh, they also have the Anytime Fitness app, which has heaps of programs and workouts to help you on your fitness journey. Not to mention the very, very friendly staff, which are always very happy to help. And don't forget, during the month of December, if you sign up, you can train for the rest of the year for free. Head on down to Anytime Fitness in Epping and sign up today. Yeah, because you like neighbours with like Amy Winehouse at one point, weren't you? Yeah, well, Amy lived a couple of doors up from Ed. Right. So I was acquainted with her. Um, she, I, we used to go to the Good Mixer on a Friday night um, and shoot some pool. And, and she'd I, be there? Yeah, I had a couple of games of pool with Amy and, you know, we had a couple of shots of Jaeger and a couple of pints together and, yeah. you know, she was cool. She was pleasant. Mm. It was a real shame what happened uh, with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can remember. I still remember that day because, well, that day, that night, we were out. We went out to the bar, and I saw her that night, and she came. Yeah, she came back with us, and she left. So she was with her bodyguard, and she's like, "Oh, I'm going home," and she was behaving herself. 
you know, everything was all cool. Mm. And um, I used to pay eight pounds a month to Ed to have ESPN put on so I could watch Essendon play while I was living in London. Oh, really? Yeah. And so what would happen was at 2 a.m. on a Friday or Saturday night, I'd put the TV on and the party would continue in the house. But I'd sit there and watch the footy. Right, there's a weird Aussie bloke in the corner watching his his football. Yeah, so I'd have to explain to people what was going on with the football and, you know, they had no idea. They were all about soccer over there and rugby and, you know, they didn't understand Australian rules football. But the footy finished and it was, I think the the game finished, it must have been one of those twilight games because they usually started about two in the morning, but this one started at four or whatever and... 7 o'clock, I don't know, the party's still going and we, like, Bruce McAvaney's and Brian Taylor's doing their, like, rundown of the game and we changed the channel and there's news crews everywhere Mm. at the front of our house. We didn't have a fucking clue, right? Ah. And, like, across the screen, it's like Amy Winehouse found dead. Right. So, yeah, party over. And And it was... It was like, it was... What, oh, three doors up from us, two, three doors up. That's from where, where she we was lived. found. Yeah, oh, in her gosh. house. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a bit of a circus. Unbelievable, man. Mm. Mm. Not cool. Well, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was world news. I mean, she was a, a legitimate f- phenomenon around the world um, and, and had a great success with, with her career. Um, and then for you to be, like, in amongst that area... Um, at that time, very strange. It was know. it was really strange because it was kind of like Camden had happened um, as a scene. So like the darkness had broken up, and Amy was had a career and then had a downfall and was trying to make a comeback. And yeah, it wasn't you know was it was kind of hanging on the coattails of yesterday right right the same was even though there was still some really cool things happening Mm. but it wasn't um as hip as it was it wasn't as hip as it was in the early 2000s sure yeah yeah. i guess if anything i came late to it yeah yeah not by choice it was just by circumstance the way it worked out yeah yeah and kind of got to see the the remnants of the Mm. old republic as it were well i did get to meet um fuzz who was a very good friend of um, Ed's and I'm still friends with Fuzz to this day we still talk to each other on Facebook and he played in this band Silverfish who supported Nirvana mm. so you know they're a cool band and Fuzz is a really cool dude and there was still um, Minns there was a guy Minns that used to hang around and his band he, I think Minns played with Faster Pussycat for a while and right. my mate Rick Gill he was guitar tech for the darkness and you know did a bit of did a bit of stuff and I can remember I can remember when the darkness got back together and um, Ed broke his foot mm. which is a story for another day but we were, we were trying to get Ed ready because their, their big comeback show was Download Festival um, supporting like the undercard to Def Leppard yes so it was like a pretty decent slot yeah and this is when you were still living over there yeah and yeah. so Ed's broken his foot and, like, five weeks out from the gig, mm. he's like, I just don't know how I'm going to do this. And we're like, all right, well, let's get you an electronic drum kit and 
we'll get you we'll, we'll start rehabbing your foot yeah and as we're rehabbing his foot um the window to the apartment we're on the second level like up in london like second level up you don't just climb up to it yeah that was that was where i, I got to see that space that, yeah 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 so we're the second level up and the the window opens and chris Printergast walks through, who was the uh, session, uh, the the touring drummer for the Kooks. Mm. So it was just like this, really like every now and then you got thrown a surprise, like yeah, like someone was a rock star in that town. Yeah, it was you know, it was just a bit bizarre. It was odd. It was almost like a dream. Yeah, mm. he came up and said g'day. Yeah, he well he lived next door and he just used to climb through his window across the balcony and climb in our window oh, really? and just hang out. <laughs> so you got three drummers sitting in a room just hanging out. <laughs> Far out. Yeah, that's cool, man. Mm. Um, and so yeah, we um, my wife and I we we had like a like a trip to the UK and we ended. We ended the trip in Paris, but before we we got there, we we spent a, like a, I think three or four days with you. Yeah. At that time, um, before you came home, mm. um, and you know you took us out to Abbey Road and stuff. We got the photo on the the Beatles walk and that. That and was cool. That was a cool little little day. I, I remember that. And um, yeah, you took us to a couple of the pubs that you um. Did you take us to the? Because I remember we went to a pub, but it wasn't the one you worked at. No, so I was, at that time, I was working in Soho, but we went to we went to the Dublin Castle. Right. Which was like where Madness had played and Oasis had played. Well, yes. it's a world famous indie rock pub. Yeah, yeah, right on. Like, yeah. Yeah. And we also went to the Good Mixer, which has got a photo of Ed on the wall. Well, it's got a photo of the Darkness on the wall signed. And, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, and picture of Amy over the pool table and, yeah. Oh, that's wild, man. Yeah. So I remember we then, and then we came home and the darkness were touring and you were still over there. Yeah. Um, and they'd even, they'd even like, I think Hotcakes came out. Yeah. And uh, they were playing in Melbourne and we were, we were dialed in to that record. I mean, because I, I really loved their first one. I, I, I liked um, uh one way ticket, but not as much as their first record. But then when Hotcakes came out, I'm like, oh, this every track on this is great. They're back. They're back. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I, I wanted to think it wasn't because I kind of half knew someone in the band, kind of. You know <laughs> what I mean. But at the same time, I'm like, is it because of that? And I'm like, no, it's because it's a really good album. <laughs> you know. Um, and then yeah, of course, um, you were still over there and still living with Ed, and and you. You let it. You, we we got to meet the band. Well, and they came down here. It was wild. It's kind. Of, it's funny you say that because I remember um, Ed calling me and going, "Where are you?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'm at the Good Mixer." Mm. And he's like, "Oh yeah, okay. I'm 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 coming by with a friend." And I go, oh, "Okay, no worries." And they, they come in and he sits down with his mate, and I go, "Oh, who are you?" And he's like, "Oh, my name's Dan." And I go, "Oh, Dan, I'm James." And mm. what do you do, Dan? And he goes, "Oh." I play guitars, and I go, and I own a studio, and I'm like, oh, that's nice, Dan. I've I've played in rock and roll bands before, and we're just chatting away. And Ed just leans over and goes, yeah, that's that Dan. And I'm like, oh, you're Dan Hawkins. Oh, okay. And I just, I was drunk. <laughs> you didn't recognise. Well, him. he had really short hair. Oh. His hair had been cut really short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just turned around and said, are you getting this fucking band back together or not? <laughs> and, he go, and he goes, oh, well, that's what we're talking about tonight. And I go, yeah, well, 
you should because I can't get my band back together because my lead singer's dead and you guys are still alive, so just fucking sort it out. <laughs> really? Is that what you said to yeah. me? Yeah. Really? And I, 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 it didn't have any influence over it, but I like the fact that I had the agates to say that to him. <laughs> And, oh my god! But I got to look. It was really cool because Ed told me a lot about the inner workings of the music industry and how yeah. it works. And when they ceased being a band and became a business, and how yeah. how you know record companies and you know the shysters and managers and you know everyone wants to get their finger in your pocket and yeah, you know, you know all the carry on that comes with it. But I got to um, like listen to the album evolve hotcakes evolve yes from demos he would bring in stuff and yeah to like oh we've laid down this and yeah oh this is a rough mix of the album and what i heard as a rough mix to what came out two different things mm. but it it was a killer record yeah it was very cool yeah yeah um and so we we come over and visit you and then it was literally a matter of months because we, we, we visited you like I think in the middle of the year and then Christmas you were back home. Yeah, I'd, I'd made up my mind to come home yeah. by the time. Because I'd, I'd got back with the with the ex that I broke up with that I moved over there with. Oh, really? Yeah. So And then that went tits up again mm. and I should have known better. Mm. You know, fool me once, shame on, you know, that kind of saying. Yeah. And I just... I. I made up my mind and I just didn't say anything to you guys because I wanted to surprise everyone. Yes. And so, you did. So I did. So I yeah. you know, I rolled in. I left on the 22nd of December, got to Melbourne on the 24th and mm. on the 25th you all come over for Christmas. And there's old mate in the and, corner. And there I am <laughs> with the Heathrow all- injection, 107 kilos of me strung out, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> strung out and looking for somewhere to hide. Because <laughs> your mum had been taking the family photo with this giant bear in place of you for years. Mm. And then as soon as you were back, I'm like, thank God we don't have to have that fucking bear in the Christmas photo anymore. We can have the real thing. He's back. Please tell me it was called James. I don't oh, know what it was called. It was I'd, just in place of him. I guess it was called James. It's yeah. still around. It's still around somewhere. Yeah. Getting into trouble in Greensboro. Yeah. 100%. And so you come back um, to Australia and... Um, I mean, a few years go by before you you meet um, Lara and the guys in the Seabirds. But how did that all come about? Let's um, yeah, let's come full circle now. Yeah, so I'm hanging out, doing you know, working away as a carpenter. Um, was uh, I had formed this? Well, it wasn't really a band yet, but I'd started the idea of a band called Snow White with a friend of mine, Fiona Wild, mm-hmm. which has since come to fruition. Um, we're actually a rock and roll band now. Mm-hmm. And that's all I was really doing musically, but I was I was so far out of practice. I think, like, I, I played drums a fair bit over in Europe, but I, was never, I wasn't really practicing. Yeah. I wasn't playing as much as I should have been, and for someone who, you know, calls himself a drummer, I'd just, I'd become rusty and rotten and, yeah. you know, a bit mouldy and wasn't really there. And then I started getting back into it again, and Dave Warner, who owns Studio 1B, who you did the uh, wonderful podcast with a couple of uh, episodes ago, mm. um, really good friend of mine, and he's like, well, just come on down and play anytime you want, man. Come on, there's a drum kit down here, bring your drum kit down, whatever, just come on down and play. Yeah. And then he 
calls me one day and he goes, hey, man, I want to know if it's cool if I put your name forward for this band. We've just done this video shoot with this band. I'm playing drums in the video. I think they'd really suit what you, your style and who you are. Um, it's not Slayer, but you know you're in, <laughs> you're into some cool shit, man, and it, it'd really suit you. I think it'd be really good for you. Yeah. And so I go, yeah, yeah, man, cool, no worries. So I get a call from this guy, Mike, going, oh yeah, yeah, my name's Mike, and you know I've got this band, and yeah. you know we, we we're looking for a drummer. Um, we've got a single launch coming up. Yeah. And I go, okay. And he goes, yeah, it'll be pretty easy for you. You know, Dave's played me a bit of your stuff, and. You, you, it'll be a walk in the park for you, and yeah. you know you'll be right. And um, so he sends me a link to an EP that's already out, mm. and he goes, "We're launching this song. Am I wasting my time?" And I'm checking it out, and I'm checking the BPM on it, and I'm like, "It's 147 BPM. This isn't just some slow acoustic song. Like this mm. is this is cool, man. This is a pop song. This mm. is this is up and about. It's happening." So I go, "Yeah, cool. All right, whatever." And you know, I learned the I learned the five tracks on the EP, and yep. I go and set up my drum kit, and you know, the guys come in, and we have a rehearsal, and the rehearsal finishes, and I'm like, oh well, you guys, if you like me, let me know. If you don't, no harm, no foul. And I thought, sure. La- I thought Lara hated me. <laughs> Really? That was your first impression? <laughs> well, she was all business, right? So yeah, Lara, yeah. <laughs> Lara comes in, like, stone cold, like, got her songs right, sing, 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 Yeah, I'm out. Like, I, thought, I wasn't giving anything away. I got nothing. I got, oh. no, I got nothing out of it. Yeah, but actually, yeah, yeah. at the time, I was trying to figure out why a metal drummer was auditioning <laughs> for the same <laughs> And I, look, I was a bit of a mess at the time I didn't too. Know how eclectic his music tastes were sure, at that yeah, point. Yeah. yeah, I was. I was a bit of a mess at the time too. I'd been diagnosed with depression and was on medication, and I was drinking heavily, and I was smoking a lot of weed, and trying to battle demons and yeah. get my stuff sorted out. And you know, so I was probably you know this long haired. You know, metal dude shows up with a six pack of Bundy and and Mocky's on his and Mocky's on his feet. And w- was it at one B? Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. at one B. Yeah, yeah, in Red Room. Yeah, in, in the yeah. Red Room. Yeah, far out. So yeah, and then yeah, they decided to keep me. Yeah, yeah. They thought he can stay. He's yeah. all right. Were you? Did you see anybody else that night, or was it just? We didn't. Ja- no, no, just James. Yeah. But uh, David but, set it up, and you were like, okay, well, yeah, he's yeah. good. But, we trusted but, and. But they did have Tony Floyd play on the EP, who plays, yeah. you know, he's in the Eurogliders and played with the Black Sorrows. And, mm-hmm. you know, they had Ross Harrington from Body Jar play a couple of shows with them. So Joel mm. Williams as well. Yeah. So they had some pretty reputable reputable well, drummers dudes. play Spunk with them. Disorderly. Play with them prior to me. So, yeah. you know, pump my tyres up a bit, you know. Yeah. So it's like a three-piece, um, really sort of folk-driven... When it got to the live gigs, we formed into a five. Mm. So we had like your, a temporary fill-in session, part-time bass player and drummer. So we were really looking to solidify the group as a five-piece. And when James mm. came along, his, um, diverse music tastes actually came through and that was like, wow, like a surprise. A surprise mm. package, Yeah. Because yeah. you had that um, EP that you that you were kind of playing along to, but then yeah. since then you guys have recorded with James, haven't you? That's right. So um, a short romance EP had been out for several months and we'd done some film clips um, 
over the winter, freezing cold Melbourne, and we were looking to do some new recordings. And so James came along really at the right time. We did some sessions. He um, would could hear those drum lines really quickly mm. when b- introduced to a new song. And that's when we then got into the studio um, and started working on Blue or Grey. And our first gig together, that was at the Yarra Hotel, wasn't it? It was the Yarra Hotel, yeah. That, that was, was my first gig in Melbourne. November or December of 2015. Yeah, it was, I think, November. November. So, as a five-piece, it's been about four years. Mm. Is that, and that was my first gig in Melbourne since 2001. Long time between drinks. So, and it had been a long time. Apart from when I got you sacked from your cover gig. Just that one time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, that, Rick, that, that was the, the first kind of live show in the lead-up to Black and Grey. Yeah. Little Grey, Blue yeah. Grey. Blue or Grey, sorry. Yeah, so that was yeah. launching the Am I Wasting My Time single. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. the guys have made a video for that. Um, Dave Warner's playing the drums in it up mm. the back. Uh, mm. They did the video. They they did the promo for it. It was, for all intents and purposes, they had quite a bit of success on it. You know, YouTube, it's... Radio interviews. 2,000 radio, in, 2000 views on YouTube, radio interviews. Mm. Um, you know, still gets a bit of airplay here and there. Yeah. You know, it hit regional radio. I think uh, Power FM and K-Rock were playing it for a little while. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you did like a, a series of launch shows at... Um uh, in Hurstbridge. Yeah, that's So, fine. yeah, we did the world... St. Andrew's Hotel. Yeah, the yeah. world-famous St. Andrew's Hotel. The world-famous St. Andrew's Hotel. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's funny because I've met people uh, overseas. Yeah. In, I've met people in Canada and I've met people in Europe that know the St. Andrew's Hotel. There you go. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, I know the St. Andrew's Hotel. Killer band. Saw a killer band there one night. Great meal. Love the pub. That's, that's insane. In mm. fact, we did three sort of launch gigs for that album. Yeah. We were at the Grace Darling on a Sunday afternoon, I think, and yeah. then the following week we did back-to-back gigs at the St. Andrew's Hotel. Nice. Yeah, we did the lunchtime. We did the matinee show and then we did the dinner, The we did the evening show with mm. dinner. Yeah. So it was like July, August 2017. Yeah. 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 And so since then you guys been cooking up some new music? Absolutely. So we've been in the recording studio really for a couple of years now and it's Mm -hmm. been really exciting because we've been able to take some of those um, songs that audiences responded really well to live and, you know, been asking, you know, when are you going to record that and release it? So we've, um, yeah, spent a long time, just concentrated time on getting it right Mm -hmm. and we're pretty excited about what what we're looking forward to releasing next year. Where have you been recording? At 1B. Oh, yeah. So we did a fair bit of... So we did... Blue or Grey was done split between 1B and Atlantis Studios with um, Dave McClooney, who's worked with Nick Cave and Mick Harvey and those guys. Mm. And Blue or Grey is really cool. Like, I'm super proud of it, but it's kind of... Still kind of mic sing, but the band's coming into its own. Mm-hmm. You know, we started, you know, there's there's three tracks on there that we really wrote together. And then some of it's like, 
you know, the rest of it's leftover material of Mike's stuff and, you know, but the band putting their flavour on it and this new album that we haven't really got a title for yet. Um, we've got a Is it going to be an EP or a full-length album? No, it's going to be full-length. Full oh, full-length. Oh, that's exciting. We've it, It's really the Seabirds as a band. Mm. It's like the f- all five members contributing mm. um, in every way, shape and form. Like people, you know, everyone talking about my drumming and how they want that to sound and me yeah. saying, right, that's cool, I get that, I'm playing it like this and mm. Mike's guitars and songwriting going, all right, we really like this but we want you to play it like that and, you know, with Lara's vocals and Loic's vocals, love what you do there but, you know, bring a bit of this to it and nice. we've, we've got this bass player, Macca, who's, he's just a dream, he's, he's just an amazing bassist and a really cool dude. And he just knows exactly what to play and how to play it. And he's been with them, with you guys since the first, the, mm. that second EP, or no? Since he's the, coming on, yeah, now. he's come on like in the last twelve months. Yeah, oh, nice. Yeah, last 12, 18 months. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So he came in at the initial period of the writing process for this record. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So, so I think we already had three songs written, and yeah. he just put his flavour on them, yeah. and then he's joined in for the rest of it. Oh, yeah. Wow. So together with Loic. Yeah got the consolidated five nice um and so before we do because we are kind of winding down now but before we do i did want to ask you guys um of those five um already released tracks um that you guys did with uh, blue or gray is there one that stands out that you think would um kind of uh give our listeners a, an idea of, of your sound um, moving forward because I know it's a little bit different because there was still kind of remnants of the tracks with with Mike but. well I think I think for me the first track that the band wrote together as a band is The Coastline cool and we put that out last year on vinyl a limited edition vinyl with a track that um, may or may not make the new album mm-hmm. mm. so yeah Awesome. Well, we'll have heard a little bit of the coastline by the seabirds prior to this interview um, for our listeners to kind of get a little taste of uh, what you guys are laying down. Um, How do we get in contact with you guys if we want to see more of the seabirds? Where can we find you online? So you can find us on the socials, Facebook and Instagram, and also theseabirds.com.au. Oh, you've got your own domain. We do. Look at you. Full profesh. <laughs> I love always asking that, like, oh, I think we've got a Facebook. Mick runs that. And I'm, do we have an Instagram? I don't know. You guys are like, yep, Facebook, Instagram, and a .com.au. Yeah. So it's put there. that in your smile. And, we, and we've got a YouTube channel. And a YouTube channel. So if you care to f- f- chase us down and comment, yep. hit subscribe and hit the bell so you can get notifications yep. for more content. There you go. And we will endeavour to reply to your comment. Even nice. Pink Floyd have written to us, haven't they, Jim? They have. Pink Floyd have written to you guys via YouTube. We yes. we put out a track for Mental Health Week a couple of years ago. We put out a cover of uh, Wish You Were Here. Oh, yeah. And we put a whole heap of stats about mental health issues, um, specifically within Australia. Yeah. And we received... A notification from Pink Floyd's lawyers that we were in breach of their copyright. Oh. So they were... Must have been a pretty, pretty decent cover. Yeah. So I wrote back to them, and I don't know why, because Lara's the lawyer in the band, but I wrote back to them basically saying, look, guys, you're 
version of Wish You Were Here has 1.5 billion views. We have 137. If you want the eight cents, you can have it. Otherwise, <laughs> piss off. Yeah, right. And then we got a response back saying Pink Floyd have withdrawn their copyright. So strange. Yeah, it was really bizarre. I'm pretty sure David Gilmore's got better things to do, so I don't think it was him or Roger. It's I think not it like was, you were releasing it to make money off. It was for a charity. No, right. well, we did it yeah. for Mental Health Week, right? Yeah. And Raising like, awareness. And, and, you know, we we did all the right channels. You know, it was mm. all about, you know, we, we, we'd said who wrote the song. We weren't trying to make ourselves famous off it. We were just, mm. it's a song that we play well and it's got a good response in our live set. And Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they're money-grabbing lawyers. <laughs> decide to uh, have a crack. <laughs> but, in <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, guys, it's been so great um, getting to know you guys. Um, I mean, obviously, James, you and I go way back, but there was still some surprises. And that's what I love about the pod. You know, I've interviewed people I've never met and I've interviewed people that I've known all my life. And there's always one little nugget that I always take away and go, oh, wow, that is something I did not know. So thank you. Well, no, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. lovely to join you here. And um, we'll keep an eye and ear out for um, the new record in 2020. Are we crossing our fingers that it's going to be released next year? Definitely. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll see you guys um, at a live show very, very soon. Fantastic. See See you. Bye. Ciao. And that's a wrap, Sizzlers, episode 87, all done. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, give the podcast a share on social media. Use the hashtag, hash, hashtag. <laughs> it's hot, guys. Use the hashtag Art of Touring Podcast on Instagram and give us a follow at Art of Touring Podcast. If you are a first-time listener to the show, I hope you do come back each and every week and keep on listening. I have a new guest each week, so you are more than welcome to join the Art of Touring family by becoming a regular listener. I'd love to have you on board. If you'd like to get in contact with me, you can just email me directly at artofdouringpodcast at gmail.com. Maybe you would like to come on the show. If you are a touring musician or a performer or a wrestler, hit me up or send me, send me a message on Facebook or on Instagram at Art of Touring Podcast. You can listen to The Art of Touring on Wooshka and you can download it on iTunes and Spotify and the Google Podcasts app on your Android device. Now, if you are doing so, that means all of those devices and all of those platforms have a rating system. Oh, my God. You could, you could like, get out your phone right now and tap five stars and leave a review. That'd be nice because no one's done it since March and it's now December. So, please, I'm pleading with anybody out there, please leave a review for my podcast. That'd be really cool of you. Now let's get into some plugs. Big announcement, guys. Saturday the 15th of February 2020, that's next year, at the Spotted Mallard in Brunswick, the Art of Touring podcast is celebrating its 100th episode with a live event. Yeah, that's right. Joining me on the night... Uh, will be previous guests from the podcast, including live sets from the Millionaires Club, Delsinki, Warbirds, and the debut performance by the Lip Looseners, performing songs from your favourite tracks from fake bands from movies, including Spinal Tap, Still Crazy, Mark Wahlberg's Rockstar, and The Wedding Singer. Do you get the concept? It's going to be songs from bands from movies, but they can't be like, you know... 
Well, it's not, I'm not going to play the Ghostbusters theme by Ray Parker Jr. because Ray Parker Jr. is a real artist and he wrote that theme for the movie. That's you know I'm not going to play the Power of Love by Huey Lewis and the News. That's a song you know in that movie. I'm talking about bands from movies, fake bands. So Spinal Tap, not a real band, but they have a real movie. So we're going to do one of their songs. Um, uh, Scream Freedom by Strange Fruit from the movie Still Crazy, not a real band, but a real song. So we're going to be playing that. Uh, there's the other one, Rockstar, Mark Wahlberg's Rockstar, Steel Dragon. We're going to do Stand Up and Shout. Not a real band, but a real movie and a real song. So we're going to be playing that on the night. Tickets will be available very, very soon. So keep an eye out on social media for the official announcement. But you've heard it here first, Art of Doing Listeners. 100th episode live event going down on Saturday, the 15th of Feb at the Spotted Mallard in Brunswick. That's all from me this week. Before I go, I have a few shout-outs. Shout-out to Chris Wall, who designed the artwork for the show. You can follow him on Instagram at Mr. Wall, spelled W-A-H-L. Big thanks to my guests this week, James and Lara from the Seabirds. Be sure to follow them on Facebook and Instagram. They've got heaps of stuff coming up, so give them a follow and a like. That's all from me this week. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next time for another episode of The Art of Touring with us is Diggity Dow. Go, wow, wow. Remember this week's podcast was brought to you by Lobos Collectibles in Thornbury, the best vintage toy store in the universe and anytime fitness in Epping, where as the name suggests, you can train anytime, day or night.